Good morning, everyone. Each Sunday, we want to take some time and make sure that we celebrate what God is doing here at the church, celebrate His goodness, and hopefully every time you leave church, you want to be changed because of our understanding of God and the Gospel. And that's, that's pretty much the purpose of why we gather together to do that. And if that doesn't happen, something's either wrong with our church or something's wrong with you. So we want to be bold and say that. Today I want to celebrate something that even though it sometimes seems like it's just one of those hallmark holidays, but Father's Day. And um, often we, on this day, maybe you do your best to do things to contact your father or make a note or do something. Maybe you have a stepfather, you contact them, let them know. But fatherhood is a very serious thing. It's a very awesome blessing that we have as men that are fathers. And some of you understand that. Some of you understand the trials of that. And as we have been going through Scripture looking at marriage here, we understand that this has also been attacked by society. And more and more society wants to take away what I think are biblical principles and the roles that we have, which we will be talking about next Sunday. So what I would like to do um, often at churches, we give different things away. We do things, um, different things. I, I was driving by on the way to church. One restaurant's giving rolls of duct tape away to, to fathers because yeah, duct tape is great. But I like electrical tape. It stretches and anyways. It's a little bit better than duct tape, I think. But we thought about, you know, what can we do? What kind of knick-knack, I call them knick-knack paddywhack. What kind of little, you know, gadget can we give to, to the fathers today? But I thought, you know what? Let's do something different. So what I would like to do is, I would like to pray for all fathers. In fact, I would like everyone who is a father to come up on stage here and face the audience. Even if you're an expecting father, it's your first baby, guess what? Life begins at conception. You're a father. So everyone who's a dad, come on up here. You're a grandpa. Yeah, you got a whole bunch of little ones. So come on up. And if it takes you a while to get up here, we will take our time. Look at all these dads. Wow. Thinned out. So gentlemen, I want to encourage you as dads. And some of you are just dads, you're, you've gone through some hard times, maybe you're not married right now, we're not talking about that, we're talking about being a dad. Every baby that comes along is not by chance. God has specifically designed for you to care and love, and cherish, and model the love of God to your children. And if you're a grandpa, that doesn't mean that changes now. You pass it on to your grand. You still got to love your kids in a different fashion. You have been so blessed by God. And I just want to speak to some of you too. Maybe you won't get that phone call from your kids. Maybe your kids are gone. They're aloof. They're just, they're just, they don't care about you anymore you still have a responsibility and role 
to love your kids. And it's going to be hard. So I encourage you, if you're in that position where your kids just don't want to talk to you, we're going to talk about love today, still love them. Still pray for them. And I encourage you, let us know as pastors, we want to be praying for your kids that have gone astray. Because God is about rescuing people, right? Look at your own life, huh? And I encourage you, again, above all, model the love of God to your children. Sometimes that means to be firm and disciplined. Our society is very against disciplining kids today. Yes, kids, we need to be disciplined, okay? Just as a father who loves his children disciplines his children, so does the Father. God, do the same, it says in Scripture. Don't shy away from correcting your children so that, not so that they feel the wrath of you, so that they know the love of God. I encourage you. The greatest legacy you can leave is not your inheritance, but a godly legacy. And that's why I want to pray for you. So all of you here, join... Jay, I see you. Come on up. We're praying for all the dads. Look at you. You got your little baby. All right. So join me in prayer as we pray for these dads. All right? So Father God, I come before You right now in Your mighty name. I thank You that You are the eternal Father of our souls. I'm so glad that we understand what it means to be rescued by Your grace. And I pray for every father up here right now. I pray for those who may not get the phone call from their daughter, may not get the phone call from their son. I pray that even though there's been some broken relationships, God, I pray that they would find some way to bring restoration to the relationship as You have done with us. I pray that these men would be truly not just men, but godly men. And I pray that You would bless them. Not just today on Father's Day, but every day You would bless them. For some up here, we don't know our time schedule. This might be our last Father's Day here on this earth. But I pray that this year they would still love and give and cherish and discipline and encourage and be proud of their kids. And I pray that they would learn to leave a godly legacy within their family. Protect them, guide them, equip them, and encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen? That's much better than duct tape. All right, have a seat. Let's give them a hand. May we continue to pray for our families.
Again, there's the crisis in this world against our families. And if you, if you missed out on last week's sermon, I encourage you, we're doing a six-part series on looking at marriage. And the enemy wants to destroy the hope that we have in Christ. I have within my hand the longest letter I wrote to my wife. And uh, in the front it says, I, I save this space until I finish see how many pages. This is the longest letter I have ever written and probably will ever write in it. I haven't written long. 57 pages to my wife. And it's to Amber, my love, and we were dating, words of love. And um, I was kind of thumbing through this. I found this recently, and it's just filled with stuff. And, and here's a part. She was in India doing a missions trip with YWAM, and she was coming back, and this is the day before. And it's, I wrote this down, and it says, if I see you and you run to me, I will faint. I wrote this when I was in love. You notice how I said that? I wrote this when I was in love. Remember what it's like when you first meet and you're all like, Woo, we're in love! And you write all these 57 pages. My oh my, now we don't write letters of love, we live that out together by caring for our children. But what happens when love is lost? When we were in love, we wrote 57 pages. Now, I text her. How you doing, babe? Laundry done? Just kidding, I don't do those kind of things. <laughs> what do you do when love is lost in a relationship? I'm excited this morning to look at the biblical understanding of love and how Scripture defines love in a relationship. And again, this is so important. We're going to have, again, all the notes are online. I encourage you to get them, print them off, underline. We're going to work through this. And again, we'll state this here in a moment. This series isn't really about marriage Number one, this series is about the Gospel. That's why I'm leaving the communion table right here in front. Just as we do communion as this tangible representation of the Gospel, so is marriage an expression and an example of the Gospel message. So let's pray before we get into Scripture. Father God, we've prayed a couple times already today. That's so good. It shows our dependence on You. We need you today and i ask as we work through scripture here that you would bring healing to our hearts i even pray for my brother joe who just walked out here he's he understands your grace a year ago he almost died in that accident and it made him aware of what's eternal i pray for his relationship with his girls Bring healing. Lord, we are at Your mercy every day. So move, do that surgery in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. We are looking at different things. We're going to look at a cultural crisis every Sunday. Then we're going to look at the biblical understanding. And then we're going to look also then at the effects of sin. And then we're going to give you some tools. And then we're going to interview a couple each Sunday. The cultural crisis out there today is pretty serious. We are in a difficult time for men and husbands to be 
men. Seriously. What does it mean to be a man? It's hard to find. We live in a culture and time that lacks affirmation of manhood. Seriously. It lacks affirmation of manhood. And what it means to be a man today is kind of unknown. Be a man. You must be swift as a coursing river. Thank you. Someone knows the song, right? Be a man. You know, must be like a typhoon. It's as mysterious as the dark side of a moon. Some of you don't know the song, unfortunately. It's one of those Disney songs that came out. Is that what manhood is about? What is manhood? We have a need for many men to be a man, to grow into manhood. We live in this time and age which is it's tough because we get men who get out of high school or get out of college they don't know what to do and they're kind of fumbling in life. And I call them a band. They're between a boy and a man. And they're kind of this bandhood where they're just like, I don't know what to do and be. And, and if, that's, if, if maybe you're, you're in your 20s or 30s, you're looking for a job, I'm not trying to pick on you, but there are some people that just stay at home. They don't know what it means to be a man. And we live under the shadow, my generation, of our grandfathers who went to war, World War II, fought the Nazis, went to the Pacific Theater, and these were men. Now it seems it's always two generations away things fail. You see that in the religious area. The Puritans that were here in America, Jonathan Edwards, two generations away, many deists. What does it mean to be a man today is hard to find. Not just men, but men of God. Men who live out sacrifice and selfless love. Too many times our culture says to be a man means to build your own empire. Really, to be a man means to live out your life with sacrifice and selfless love. And the best example of a man was Jesus Christ. and That's His lifestyle, right? What does it mean to be a man? We are talking about this section. So take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. In fact, I encourage you, I know some of you use your phones, that's awesome, but bring that paper Bible. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, and the structure of it is, is important. We're looking at what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. So really, this section about marriage is really about being filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, it says in Scripture, be filled with the Spirit by speaking, by singing, by making, by thinking, and then submitting. And then Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 33. We're in this section. And again, last week was kind of the foundation of it all, and this is so important. We must look at the perfect marriage. We long for the perfect marriage, even within our marriages. But if you want to have a great marriage, you must look at the perfect marriage. And the perfect marriage is Christ and the church. Christ and His bride. That's the perfect marriage. And having a marriage that will last begins with having Christ as the center of your life first. Again, marriage doesn't complete you. Christ does. And this is, I, I'm so grateful that we got young people in this room. 
Always remember that. Marriage doesn't complete you. Christ does. Because society wants to paint it out saying, oh, get married and then you're complete. Then that's fulfillment. No, Christ fulfills you. If you seek to have marriage complete you, man, you're going to have a tough marriage. Why? Because you've married a sinful person and you're a sinful person. So we're going to look at this passage. Husbands, we're going to look at this week. It's Father's Day. Very fitting. And the amount of words. Take a look at the section. There's 47 words to the wives. 143 to the husbands. Wives, you get this much words. Husbands, you get this much. So we're going to look at husbands. We're working backwards through the passage. Next week, we're going to look at wives. And again, there is so much confusion and historical abuse with this passage. Wives, submit. Who wants to hear that one, right? Well, it's biblical, but there's been so much abuse. And when we look at this, context is everything. And I firmly believe, wives, listen to this. After today's passage, when we look at husbands, and what a husband should be, when you're done understanding what a biblical concept of what a husband should be doing, you will go, I will gladly submit to that. We're going to be looking at that. And as I said, next week we're going to look at what does it mean to have God's design and roles within a marriage. I long to show what the Bible explains that. And that's very confusing today. And then after that, we're going to take two weeks the first two weeks of July, I'm going to work through 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love passage. I'm excited about that. We're going to work through that. Looking at how to live with a broken, messed up person. Guess what? If you're married, you're married to someone who's broken. Even though they're rescued by the Gospel, still they've got stuff. How do you live with someone who's hard to love? Well, look in the mirror. That could be you too. So we're going to take two weeks looking at that, and then we'll take the last two weeks looking at how to bring healing to a relationship. And again, this is all Gospel-centered. We are to live out our lives daily as we've been touched by the Gospel. And that's why this passage is grounded in the Gospel. So let's take a look at this passage. I'm going to read it. In fact, if you've got a bulletin, grab your bulletin. We've given you a small little version of this. And I think the reason I had this printed out is because often we'll read this passage and we'll go, wives submit, husbands love. Oh, how come they get that part? Well, we'll soon see that. Man, I'd gladly choose submit compared to what the husband's got to do. And then it's very lengthy and long. And just, oh, then we just kind of go, okay, what does this mean? But I think it's important to see the structure of this because when you kind of map out, there it is. If you've got some binoculars, you can read that, but just grab out of your bulletin here. The structure is so important because it helps you see what the main points are. So let me, I'm going to read off this sheet here, my translation here. Again, this begins, here we go. Be filled with the Spirit by, with, speaking, singing, making, thanking, submitting. Submitting to one another out of reverence, fear for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you submit to the Lord. Then reason. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is, as 
and is Himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We'll talk about this passage next week. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water and word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything, any such thing. So that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be bonded, united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Again, marriages are a reflection of the beauty of this unity that we have in the Gospel message. In conclusion, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And the wife should respect her husband. So today I'm going to look at a, the purpose of marriage. And again, there's different passages that talk about different aspects of the purpose of marriage. This isn't the only purpose of marriage. But here, what is the purpose of marriage? Is the purpose of marriage a status symbol? Some people think that. You look at Hollywood and that's what it's all about for them, I think. A status symbol. Look who I've married. Or is it tax benefits? Or the simplicity of housing? I live here, you live here. Let's get married so it's just a lot easier. In fact, I know a couple. This is sad. I know a couple who've been married and divorced four times just because of tax purposes in different states. What's the purpose of marriage? In fact, a few lawmakers in Oklahoma recently stated this. Marriage exists for its procreative potential. Babies. Not just a recognition of a loving relationship between two people. Forget about love. This is about just having babies. Wow. Here are some statements made to me when I was in high school. One of my friends got married and we were all excited. And her mom goes, let's go pray over her ovaries so she'll have babies. That's why marriage is. I was like, oh, I'm going to go get something, food or something. I was like, why am I going to pray for my friend's ovaries? What? Some people think marriage and relationships is all about the physical. Kids, listen to this. Our world wants to make you think that relationships is all about just your physical gratification. I dated a girl when I was in high school and she dumped me. Why did she dump me? I found her a month later. I didn't kiss her enough. Praise God she dumped me, right? I didn't kiss her enough. Well, man, I'm glad I didn't hang out with her. What's the purpose of marriage? Please, there's a pencil in front of you. Write this down. In this passage, we see that the purpose for the husband is to follow the pattern and the goal 
of Christ for the church. Husbands, what's the purpose of marriage? Your purpose is to follow the pattern and the goal that Christ had for the church. I love how this is spelled out. Why are you married to your wife? Why has God put you together? Husbands, follow the purpose, the pattern, and the goal of Christ. Let's look at Christ's pattern. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Husbands, you are commanded to love your wives. And the model and the grounds for this commandment isn't just husbands love your wives and it goes on to the next thing. He says, husbands, love your wives. And the, the grounds for it and the model of it is found in Christ's love for the church. How did He show this love? He died for the church. Again, wives sometimes, or ladies sometimes go, oh, wives submit. Oh, why do we have to do that? Husbands get to love. Uh, do you know what Christ did? He died. I'll, I'll submit instead of dying, right? He died for the church with self-sacrificing love. This pattern, His pattern, is self-sacrificial love towards the church. Husbands, you are commanded to do the same thing. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. But here's where i got to pause. This has always confused me as a kid, even when I was in seminary. How in the world can we be commanded to love? You ever think about that? Deuteronomy chapter 6, when we do our family celebration Sundays, we are looking at Deuteronomy 6. Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord. How many like it that you're commanded to love God? That's, that's a tough one. How can we be commanded to love God? Or love your neighbor as yourself. How can I be commanded to my, love my neighbor? Have you seen that bear jersey he wears? No way. They got that dog that keeps barking. Oh. They do this with their lawn. And well, How can I love my neighbor? Commanded to love my neighbor? Husbands, how can you be commanded to love your wife? How can we be commanded to love? It depends on what your definition of love is. So I want to take a look at two ways to define love. One way to define love is affectionate feeling. Some people want to define love primarily as a feeling, a love, this romance, this affection that we have. And this kind of love can dry up. When the thrill is gone, you can fall into love and just as easily then you can fall out of love, right? Affectionate feeling. You can fall into it, but then you can fall out. Feelings come and go. As that's the primary cultural definition of love. If you embrace that, something's going to happen. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. People get from books the idea that if, you're mar if you marry the right person, you may expect that you go on being in love forever. As a result, they find out they are not. They think this proves they've made a mistake. 
entitled to change, not realizing that when they have changed, the glamour will present, presently go out into the new love just as it went out in the old one. Oh, I'm in love! And then uh, the feelings are gone. Oh, I must have made a mistake. Let me find the other person to love. And then it goes on, and then you're going to find out that's going to fall out. Sadly, love has become so over-romanticized as a flutterly, flirty feeling which comes and goes and has no weight. Oh yes, love has romance, right? See all these dads up here? Love has romance, right? But that's not the main meaning of love. Powerful feelings of affection and delight cannot be sustained. They will come and go. I'm going to say a bold statement here. You can fall out of love if you believe that's the main thing of love. And everyone who's married knows that this kind of love doesn't last. And in a marriage, you will, if you think love is that, you will not love your wife in that way. There's days you may wake up and just go, what is going on here? I don't have that love for her. Why? Because we have married sinful people. And surprise, we are sinful ourselves. So if your definition of love stresses more feeling than action, this might be the biggest problem in your marriage. Affectionate feeling is one way to define love. Yet the command to love is hard if you primarily think love is a feeling. That's why for me, for so long, I was like, why can I be commanded to love? Oh, I don't have those feelings. In fact, listen to this. The Bible never commands us to have feelings or emotions. It commands us to love as displaying a set of behavior. The Bible never commands us to have love as a feeling. The Bible commands us to display love in a behavior of action. So instead of affectionate feeling, the Bible commands unselfish action. God so loved that He action. What's John 3 singing? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. God so loved that He displayed it in action. Love is unselfish selfish action. Love fails when it's a contract. I've got these feelings, I made a contract with you, ooh, this is going to be great, whatever's for my benefit, and when that love is gone, then oh, I'm ripping up that contract, I'm going to someone else. When love is a covenant, it does not fail. In fact, at weddings, I never say this, for better, for riches, for health, I don't say that, it's for better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish till death do us part. It's not just affectionate feeling. When that's gone, then you move to the next person. Because love isn't just affectionate feeling. It's unselfish action. Husbands, you are called to love your wives regardless of your emotional state of being. Remember that. Write that down. Your wives are writing that down for you. You don't have to feel love to give it. Here's what's interesting about being a pastor. 
unlike many jobs. You can be a doctor, a plumber, a farmer, a teacher. I'm called to love all of you. And I have to do that. And in this room, there are some of you that we are like worlds apart. We are very different in personality. If we would have went to high school together, we might not be friends at all just because I'm weird, you're weird. I'm sinful, you're sinful. I might have to hang out with you as my job, but I'm going to love you even when there's no feelings of that. That's what I'm called to do as a pastor. You don't have to feel love to get it. In fact, loving as an action strengthens the romantic part in a marriage. If you're missing all that spark and romance, you're like, I have none of that. For ten years, we've had none of it. Maybe because you thought that's the primary thing of love. And I believe if you start loving as selfless action, you will then have more increasing emotional love. Here in this passage, love is defined, and what it demands is unselfish actions. There are days when my emotions towards my wife are not there. But that's not what my marriage is based upon. That's not the main issue. The main issue is that I love my wife no matter what in action. The command to love calls for our responsibility regardless of our wife's behavior. You are called to love them. Regardless of your wife's health condition, you must love them. Regardless of their appearance, you must love them. Or anything else that would deter you from loving her, you're called to love her. One of the greatest examples on this earth in my life is a gentleman in this church. His wife got older, he got older. And his wife got so sick that for three years she was just bedridden. He cooked meals for her, did everything for her, bathed her. Waldy, thank you so much for loving your wife for three years. He didn't love her by going, oh, she's all dried up and there's nothing I can do. For three years he cared for her and loved her. Husbands, love your wives in action no matter what. That's what the command is. It's not love and feeling. It's giving of yourselves. This is the kind of unconditional love that Christ has for us, right? He loved her. Unloving states and unbecoming. We were lost. We were a wreck. We were in bondage. But He still loved us when we were not lovely. He loved us in our sin. Not because we were lovely to Him, but so that He could make us lovely, right? That's the beauty of the Gospel message. Husbands, each week, find ways to show unceasingly care and loving service in tangible ways to your wife. No more is it, well, the feelings, if they're not there, now it's, what can I do to serve and love you? From simple things, I encourage you. Just recently with my surgery, my appendix is taken out. That's why I look thinner. That little thing makes me look thinner, right? I have found out ways to love my wife. 
I'm very active and I love doing stuff. And my wife loves doing different things sometimes. When I see a mountain, I'm going, okay, that's the route to take to get to the top. I might die on the way up, but I'm going to the top. She'll sit back and go, oh, that's a beautiful picture. I'm staying right here. But I found out my, my wife, and I've always known this, loves to take walks. I don't want to just walk. That's boring. I want to, like, conquer a mountain. Who wants to walk around a block and just wave at your neighbors? But I found through this surgery, you know what? I need to walk often with my wife. And she likes that. Another thing I found during this time is at our home we have water. Praise God for water, right? If you don't believe me, let's go to Africa and you'll see people that need water. One thing we do is we have a, a refrigerator that we got a brand new refrigerator and it's got one of the little things you push a button, a little water leaks out, filtered water. I just go to the sink. Turn it on, fills up my cup. It's great. We got great water here in Rice Lake. My wife will not, she wants the filtered water that's purified and filtered 13 times or something. And this new fridge trickles out the water. It's like, trickle, trickle, trickle. I'm like, oh, just, just go to the sink, fill it up. Now I've learned I will take two minutes a day without her knowing, and I'll fill up that pitcher. Trickle, 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 trickle water. Oh, come on. Just go to the sink. She won't know. That's a way I can show my love to my wife. Do little things with great love, men. Little things for your wife with great love. The kind of love you are to have is like that of Christ who demonstrated it in sacrificial love. That we would give our lives for our wives willing to sacrifice everything for the well-being of your wife. Be willing to sacrifice everything for the well-being of your wife. And the husband is called, commanded, to love his wife because they are one. And she is as himself. And that's why there's that little discourse of loving your own body. Care for, cherish, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually, your wife. That's what we are commanded to do. If, and I'm going to say this, your love alone will not sustain your marriage and make it last. You must submit to Christ first. Men, if God's love is not first in your marriage, it will not fulfill its purpose. Men, it is your duty to follow Christ's pattern and love her as He loves the church. So what's the husband's purpose in marriage? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Your love should look like the cross. Your love should look like the cross. In short, giving of your life for your wife. And husbands are to reflect the Lord while the wife reflects the church in this passage. Care for your wife. Cherish in love. Marriage should look like the beauty of the Gospel. That's the pattern. Love. But what's the goal? What's the goal of marriage in this passage? Here we go, look at verse 26. In this, you notice I kind of stressed it when I was reading, there are three clauses, purpose clauses. So that, so that, as Christ gave Himself for the church, so that so that He may sanctify her. 
so that He may present the church to Himself without spot or wrinkle, so that she might be holy. Christ's goal of the church was that the church would be presented as holy, sanctified, and presentable before God. We don't make ourselves blameless or holy. Only God can do that. Christ can do that. But we as husbands, our goal is that our wives would be more and more holy, Christ-like, presentable to God. There are many passages that talk about this. 2 Corinthians 13, 18 is my favorite. The more we behold the beauty of God, the more we're transformed into His glory, be more like Him. Husbands, it is your responsibility to aid in your wife's growth in Christ. Make this your goal. Your number one goal is that your wife would be more and more like Christ. More sanctified. More holy. Without blemish. Be totally committed to the well-being of your, your wife's spiritual growth so that she's more Christ-like. That should be your goal every day that your wife is more like Christ. Daily, seek ways to promote your wife's growth to be more like Christ. Be committed to your wife's spiritual holiness. May your wife be more Christ-like because of your marriage as you love and sanctify her. How was the husband to lead? We'll talk about this next week. But how was the husband to lead? The best way to lead is to lead your wife into godliness. That's what this passage is about. The pattern, love. The goal, that she would be more Christ-like. But there's effects of sin. There's been a breakdown of what God intended to have in our relationships. There's selfish aggression versus how to sacrificially love your wife. And we'll talk a little bit more of this next week. Husbands now more and more want to take, well, I'm the, the head of the household apparently and i got to be the boss. And They kind of take this and get all selfish and this is about me. Instead, we are to be giving of ourselves sacrificially to our wives. And then there's also the other extreme. My father was an example. He was so passive. So passive in his relationship with me and my brother and my wife. He couldn't do anything. He said we are called to lead our wives, lead our families to more and more godliness. And Jesus' life embodied the true masculinity, true manliness through sacrifice and selfless love. Gentlemen, have more sacrifice in your life lifestyle have more selfless love it is not exercise your headship but love your wives that's the command and your love should reflect the cross imagine if a husband lived like that what wife would not want to follow a husband like that right what wife would not want to submit to that this would transform marriages if husbands got off their own pedestal and all about you and you started loving and pursuing other people's growth and godliness. That would transform your marriage. That would change it. A wife does not need to worry to submit to a husband 
whose love is like Christ and has that as a goal for marriage. Amen, women? So a couple tools for you before we interview a couple. I would say this, gentlemen, sometimes I look at women and wives who read those little novels there's just, you know, those little paperbacks about all, you know, these fake romances. of That's just garbage. Wives, throw those books away. But men, stay away from the mindset of what movies display as love. It's garbage out there. Stay away from the movie mindset of love. And listen, gentlemen, stay away from men who treat their wives with no respect. Dump them as friends. It is not worth it. It will not benefit you at all. Gentlemen, you hear me? Stay away from other men who treat their wives with no respect. Just be like, I'm done. Because your main purpose and goal is to love as Christ, and your goal is that she would become more godly. Those kind of guys will not help you. Don't hang around them anymore. Another thing, seek for your wife's best. My hope is in Amber, is that God is going to do a great thing because God is working within her and God has called me to help her to become more godly. Two books. I've got pictures of these up here. His Needs, Her Needs. There's a book out there. In fact, there's an assessment you can get online. What a great book. Gentlemen, get this book. I've thumbed through it. Tony's done more work with this book. He and his wife. I haven't done much, but the assessment is great. Again, Actions of love lead to affections of love. If you want more spark in your marriage, look at the needs. And here's another one. Gentlemen, get this book for your wife. It's called Valley of Vision. Anybody ever hear of this book? Whenever I go on the mission field, I get like five of them and hand them out to missionaries. This, this is a collection of Puritan prayers so filled and riddled with the Bible passages in the Gospel have your wives read this book. Get this as a gift to her and read it together maybe. It's powerful. All right, let's have Doug and Connie come on up. Doug and Connie, I thank you for your commitment to our church. You have been a part of our church for more years I've been alive. And... I remember recently at a funeral about a year ago, someone made the comment, Doug is the example for all of us husbands. He's got a great example of care and love. How many years have you guys been married? 45. 45. 45 years. And again, I want to state this because like last, last week, we had Ray and Val up and Doug and Connie. We're, we want to give to you a couple examples of a great example of how to sustain a marriage. And some of you have gone through divorce. Some of you are in a situation where you're like, oh, this can help you. But we're not going to always have these great marriage stories up here. We're going to have a couple that will be coming up that have struggles and to help you. Because you don't have the perfect marriage, right? Correct. <laughs> Christ is, look to Him. All right, so here's, here's the question. How have you made your marriage last? Wow, it's been a long time. One of the things you have to do is get married young. <laughs> there it is. 
We've been married 45 years, but we got married when we were 19, so um, we were young when we got married. But we both grew up on the farm. We were mature kids, and uh, it, worked, it worked for us well. Um, a foundation is probably the most important thing on a marriage. Before we dated or even knew each other, we were praying to God, seeking God for that mate, for that person that would be right for us. So the foundation is the first thing before we even knew each other. The next thing when we did date and marry was the covenant promise that we made before God and we made before each other. You talked a couple weeks ago about a contract. You mentioned it today that you tear it up if it doesn't work. For us, that wasn't an option. We were married for life, and it was going to stay that way. And you mentioned love is, is not more than a feeling. Um, every day you wake up, you say, I am going to choose to love my wife, and we're going to make it work no matter what. Anything you want to add? No, he about said it right, but it is making God center before you even date that you're choosing this godly person who will share your covenant. And I think that's just so important for young people to hear. There is nothing more important than following God's commands to be equally yoked in a marriage. So, Doug, a question for you. We've been looking at this passage here about husbands and their, their goal and purpose and pattern. And the pattern is loving your wife. So how as a husband do you work on loving your wife? What are some ways that you have worked on loving your wife? That's good. I, I was told ahead of time not to get her giggling, so I'll have to be careful on this question here. So, But showing love, um, chivalry and romance are not dead, men. You can still do those things for your wife. So it's the little things. Um, when you get up in the morning, give your wife a kiss. When you leave and you come back home, give her a kiss and a hug. The walks around the block. Um, once in a while, bring some flowers home. You know, things like that that you show um, you're still romantic. And say it. Say, I love you. And, you know, some, it can be hard for some people to say that, but you need to say that. You can show it, but you also need to say it. The other thing is that... Um, Know your wife's love language. If you men don't know your wife's love language, that's a homework assignment for you today. Go home and find out what it is. Connie's love language is touch. She likes holding hands. She likes me to give her a hug, rub her back. She likes touch, and she likes to be close. So that's very important in a marriage. Know your wife's love language. Yeah, with that, in a couple of weeks, we're going to give that as an example when we look at 1 Corinthians 13, love, and some examples that we'll talk about the love languages. This passage also talks about the goal is that we would promote the well-being of our wives to become more Christ-like. What are ways you have been able to do that as a goal to help promote Connie's well-being to be more like Christ? Yeah, that was central in our marriage and central in our life even now. It, it, it continues that way. Um, I encourage her to, to be in God's Word to to meet with other women, small groups, to grow in God. Um, we each have our own personal devotions, but we also have a time where we, we come together for a devotional time and prayer. Um, we like to talk about the scriptures that we read. What's it mean? Um, a real thing that we like doing is, is God sighting. See where God is at work. Talk to each other about that. You, know, you might see 
how God's sovereignty worked in, in a situation. Talk about it in your marriage. You want to talk about the Bible? Okay. <laughs> so, can you hold the mic? So this Bible here is pretty tattered and worn, but this was given on our wedding day 45 years ago, and right from the get-go, Doug became the spiritual leader in our home. Even in dating, he wanted to pray at the end of our date. So he said, let's take this on our honeymoon. And we did a devotional, a scripture reading out of it. And every night since, I mean, this stays in our nightstand, and as we crawl into bed at night, we do a devotion, and this is very tattered. And um, Kids have gotten a hold of it, scribbled in it. We've taped it. We've glued it. And it only gets used at night because we have our own Bibles and personal devotions. But this morning as I was laying in bed praying, I thought about this. Is this the more worn and tattered this Bible has gotten, the more vibrant our marriage has gotten? Because that's what God's Word does. It brings you together. My last question is, we talked last week about Jesus must be the center of your marriage. How have you kept Jesus the center of your marriage? I think about the sermon today, the things we've talked about, the spiritual, the physical, um, emotional, they all have to come together to be Christ-centered. And I like the illustration of a triangle where Christ is at the top and you have a husband and the wife on each side. And you think about that, as we grow closer to Christ, we grow closer together. So think about that in your own life. Um, where are you on that triangle image? Are you guys together as you're coming closer vertically to Christ? We need to have Christ-centered marriages, and it only happens if we stay in God's Word, if we stay in prayer, if we stay together. That's the only way. Connie, any thoughts on how to keep Christ the center? Yeah, I think one thing is just to remember is that God's commands are always for our good. And so Christ's pattern for marriage has been our pattern because God created me. He knows how a wife is wired. He knows how men are wired. And so we follow his commands because God only wants good for me. And if we remember that, then it's easy to submit to one another. It's easy for me to to honor my husband because I know only good comes out of all of that. Good. So here's what I'd like to have done right now. I want them to pray for many of you. I'm not just going to have married people stand up, but if you've been divorced, and this might be hard because if you don't want people to know you're all alone, or maybe you're standing because your spouse isn't with, with you. Maybe like my wife's not here. She's with the kids right now and stuff, but I want both married people to stand and those who've been divorced to stand. So if you could do that right now, I'm going to have Doug pray for you husbands that you would understand this passage and your role. And then what I want to do is I want to have Connie pray for the brokenness that we have. Even if you have a healthy, vibrant marriage, there's still brokenness there. Maybe you're on the edge of going, I've got no feelings. And, and you've got to realize, okay, love is an action more than a feeling. She's going to pray for you and for those who've gone through divorce because some of you have a lot of pain that just Jesus is going to heal. So does that make sense how we're going to be praying? So we're going to have Doug pray for you men and then Connie's going to pray just for the brokenness within marriages and some of you gone through divorce and you understand pain like some of us don't understand. So she'll be praying for you. So let's pray. Father, 
we come to you with thanksgiving, with humbleness as men. Lord, we confess that we have sinned in the different areas of life, and especially when it comes to being husbands, Lord. And we, we think about the passage today, uh, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's, it's an impossible thing that we can't do on our own. But through the indwelling spirit that you have given to us, through Christ working through us, Lord, we can love our wives in the way that you have loved the church and gave yourself up for her. Lord, so I pray over these men today. I pray that you would give us the courage, that you would give us that uh, sense of responsibility to not fear, to not hang back, but to be obedient to your word, to love our wives as you have loved the church. Lord, I pray for the situations maybe in, in men's life right now that they just are at a loss. They don't know what to do. The relationship maybe is, is severed. It's hurting, Lord. I lift that up before you now. May you give uh, wisdom and comfort and peace, knowledge what to do, that they would be able to mend a marriage maybe that is hurting because nothing is impossible with you. You can restore anything in our lives, Lord. So I thank you for each of these men. I pray that you would work in their lives, help them to be the spiritual leaders of our homes and our children, families. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Father, we thank you, even though we're broken people, that if we follow your word and your guidance, that marriages can be strong, they can be mended. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And God, we pray for those who are hurting today. God, I pray for your healing. May they not believe the lies of the enemy, but they may look again to your word that offers wholeness, forgiveness, peace. And God, I pray that for them. And God, I pray if they need someone to come alongside, that they would be bold enough to ask for a prayer partner, for someone to, to share burdens with. God, I thank you for the church and just for the love and support that we can get from the church because, God, you designed everything perfectly. God, we give this every situation to you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand now and sing to our great God about his faithfulness and how good he is. <laughs> 